welcome to the Geek Saga podcast series, Hot D Takes, covering HBO's House of the Dragon, episode by episode. Hi, I'm Tara Lynn of Geek Saga Entertainment, and welcome to Hot D Takes. This podcast series covers HBO's House of the Dragon episode by episode with myself, an avid reader of all things ASWAF, and my friend Manny, a Game of Thrones fan who is unsullied, aka has never read the books, being your stalwart hosts. So first things first, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at A Geek Saga. And I'm Manny, the aforementioned Sullied co-host. And you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Manissimo Art because I'm getting better now. Thanks for joining us for our fifth episode, which will cover episode five of House of the Dragon, We Light the Way. As a reminder, expect spoilers from the episode we're covering. But less obvious, there will be very minimal book spoilers from Fire and Blood, which is, of course, the source material for House of the Dragon. We'll start with an episode summary, then cover what we think are the main hot takes from the episode, and conclude with an episode-specific favorites roundup. We also have a rating system that we will, like true Targaryens, fill in when and where we please, and that system includes rating things on a scale of 1 to 10 Targ eyebrows. Last but not least, each week we're joined by a special guest. This week it's Megan D, a fellow Acewaf lover and costume aficionado. Megan, where can everyone find you on social media? Hi there. You can find me as birdied.costuming on Instagram, birdiedcause on Twitter, or really just search birdied plus some form of costuming and I'm probably there. And it's birdied, B-I-R-D-I-E-D-E-E, right? Yes. Okay. All right. Well, we're super excited to have you join us. Now, just one last piece of business before we dig in. Don't forget that Geek Saga Entertainment now has a Patreon with 10 tiers ranging from $1 a month to $40 a month. It offers tons of ways to support us and receive some great perks in return, including, by the way, early access to these Hot D podcast episodes. So you can check it out at patreon.com slash geeksaga underscore entertainment. And now it's time for the long and the short of it, our weekly episode summary. Picture it. The Vale of Arryn, 115 AC. It's a foggy morning, and Lady Rhea Royce, ensconced in a brawn, runes-covered armor that her house is known for, rides out alone on a hunt, only to be confronted by a cloaked figure that turns out to be none other than her husband, in the wedded sense, if not the bedded sense, Daemon Targaryen. And then he promptly startles her horse, she is crushed under it, and he finishes the job by bashing her head in. Not cool, man. Not cool. Meanwhile, Viserys is picking his way to Driftmark, where he plans to make the marriage alliance between Rhaenyra Targaryen and Lanor Valerian. Things don't seem to get off on the right foot when Corlys doesn't actually come out to meet the king upon his arrival, but despite a bit of banter regarding succession and last names, in the end it seems everything is copacetic about the agreement, at least between the two fathers, as Rhaenys is understandably worried about the fact that they're putting their obviously gay son in danger by marrying him off to the supposed heir to the Iron Throne, an heir whose succession will surely be challenged, she notes. Smart woman. Really, so many people should listen to Rhaenys more. As for Rhaenyra and Laenor themselves, it might be an arrangement of suedo convenience, but hey, at least they know, care about, and respect each other. And after their beach stroll conversation, are on the same page regarding what they want out of their marriage. Which, in case it wasn't clear, seems to be doing their duty 
probably including producing an heir and a spare, but giving each other leave to pursue their own pleasures. Pleasures that probably, maybe even hopefully, involve some hot D for the both of them? If we ignore Rainey's misgivings, like Corliss does, everyone is happy, and this will surely go swimmingly. Except for Sir Cole of House Law, who is smitten enough with Rhaenyra to propose that they run away across the narrow sea together. Apparently, Rhaenyra had previously waxed poetic to him about her desire to just run off and be free, or something like that. And her lover is not too happy to hear that she never really meant it, and she's going to marry Lenor, but she can continue to do what she wants, and part of that is banging Kristen on the side. I mean, I would too. Fair enough. I mean, come yeah. on, guys. You know, I'm like, I mean, come on. And like, okay, we get him being upset over just being her side piece. But dude, you're really only going to whine about soiling your white cloak now? Tell us. You're actually only mad because she won't do what you want her to do without telling us exactly that? Back in King's Landing, despite the fact that we just got rid of good old Gossip Otto, a new character, Larry Strong, is already gunning for that Gossip Guy title. Unfortunately, Rhaenyra, while she and Daddy were away, Larry Strong sowed some seeds of doubt in Allison's mind by straight up telling her that the Grand Maester delivered a special tea to Rhaenyra. So now Allison is suspicious, which leads her to summon Kristen to question him about the night Rhaenyra was with Damon. But her refusal to be blunt about whether Rhaenyra had a tryst with Damon leads her unwillingly leading Kristen to confessing that he and Rhaenyra did the thing. While Viserys seems to be ailing even worse than ever, he gets his shit together enough to kick off Rhaenyra and Laenor's wedding celebrations. But since when does a major Westerosi wedding go as planned? In this case, it's one seemingly minor thing after another, culminating in one major incident that is really just the straw that breaks the dragon's back. <laughs> Namely, Allison interrupts Viserys' speech with her entrance, clad in a green dress that signifies her true alliances. Gerald Royce and Damon have a nasty little exchange about Rhea's death and how Damon stands to inherit Runestone. Viserys witnesses a very obviously overly friendly exchange between Damon and Rhaenyra. And finally, after Lanor's lover Joffrey pulls Sir Cole of House Slaw aside to have a chat about them being Lanor and Rhaenyra's extramarital paramours, Kristen releases his rage on Joffrey's head. This leads to all of the upcoming wedding celebrations being canceled. Rhaenyra and Lanor are wed that night right there in the hall with the remains of the feast scattered around them, and the end of the ceremony is punctuated by Viserys collapsing. Kristen Cole is also notably absent as he has stumbled off to the godswood, where Allison arrives just in time to stop him from taking his own life. And so in a way, we come full circle as we kick off our discussion with hot take number one. Ugh. Rip <laughs> Rhea Royce gone too soon. Oh, gods. <laughs> I really didn't expect it to happen that quickly. I had the assumption that she was not going to make it out of this episode because we knew that with the wedding coming up, Rhea needs to disappear at some point. And yeah, I was not, unfortunately, not surprised that Damon did what he did. <laughs> I wasn't surprised, right, that he did it. One of the things that we know from Fire and Blood is that she died in a hunting accident. That's what we know, mm -hmm. right? And it was a bashed-in head. Oh. She hit her head, and she was out for nine days before she finally passed. Yeah, so, so this is a shortened yeah, version of this that. This is a shortened version of it. In the books, I was also kind of like, huh, this is 
very convenient for mm-hmm. Damon to suddenly lose his wife that he didn't care about in the first place. And we're probably not going to see it because we're about to go into the time jump, but there is an exchange that happens between Damon and Lady Jane Arryn in the books that makes it seem that he's very unwelcome. Well, first of all, we see Damon and Gerald Royce having a little tete-a-tete, uh-huh. but, a, but a nasty one at the wedding, the opening wedding celebration. So I feel like there might be more coming because he Possibly. says like he's going to go talk to Lady Jane about how he should inherit Runestone or how he's supposed to inherit Runestone. But for now, like you said, you thought that Damon had something to do with her death just from the brief passage about it in the book and yes that is something that so many fans have postulated that Damon in some way caused it so this was a very specific haha yes he did at least at least in show first <laughs> but I I think that this is probably one of those things that Martin was like he yeah, probably, probably had something to do with this being confirmed <laughs> I mean the second I saw him and then when she showed up and it was like oh this is your wife like you know, she looks cool. I got the cool ass armor, you know, riding the horse. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, hell He's yeah. Too good like, for you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, that was like one of my first like initial reactions was like, how did you wind up with her? <laughs> you know, like, I mean, you are literally like trash in her eyes. I mean, come on. How did that happen? You know, his grandma, but, actually. Um, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> so, but, you know, yeah, I mean, I knew something was going to happen at that point. I was like, okay, he's going to he's going to offer in some kind of way or, you know, do something. It really wasn't. I mean, I, I guess the way it happened was kind of surprising because, you know, getting, getting crushed by a horse at first or getting incapacitated by the horse and then getting your head crushed in with a rock is not exactly one of my uh, top three ways that I'd want to go. But I was disappointed because I thought that her character, you know, like <clears throat> there's a lot to be said when they, when they introduce a character for a very quick scene or just something like that but everything you need to know about her character is literally said and just done just by the way that they like presented her mm-hmm. where i was like oh, okay yeah. she was on the screen for like five minutes and i felt like i already knew her character you know yeah. so the fact that they just kind of you know like right off the bat was like okay like this good storytelling i'm not gonna crap on them for the, okay like i'm not disappointed they, they made I'm you just, care about her yeah exactly very quickly exactly. and you're just like well okay i mean it, Easy come, easy go, I guess, you know, so. It was very uh, show, don't tell, right? But also, I enjoyed how awesome she really was, right? Like, she was pretty and badass. Very well-spoken, yeah, very badass, very Mm well-spoken, like, like, just, like, commanded, like, just power. Like, like, that, that is someone that I would meet and be like, okay, yes, I'm going to follow you in battle wherever you go you don't have to say anything else like i'm good like let's do this you know and not that damon isn't badass but we've heard nothing but him trash talking her so like then you meet her and it's it's kind of like oh oh dear it it kind of makes you question like how many times has like a friend of yours been trash talking their significant other or their ex and you've met them and been like i'm not i don't quite get it Problem. Or it's either like I I don't either you get the I don't get why you're doing that or the mm, I understand why you're doing it. It's not great. <laughs> well, you know, there's like 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 in my brain, there's like two types of badassery, right? There's badasses and then there's noble badasses, mm-hmm. right? 
the noble badasses are the ones that you die for. You know, those are the ones that like you just whatever they tell you to do, you just do it because you know they're badasses, but they're good. <laughs> you know? Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of arranged marriages, hot take number two, first come arrangements, then comes marriage. So real quick, I wanted to ask you guys before we discuss this a little more, do we think Corliss knew ahead of time what Viserys was showing up to propose? Because I, I mean, I, I assumed, yes, he did. There's, you know, we might not have Varys's little birds yet, but there's still there's still little birds and gossip autos or gossip gossip larises everywhere. <laughs> so there's, there's gossips as well as there's also a certain level of etiquette that comes as if you're going to make be making like a two three day journey uh, to Driftmark from King's Landing. There's a certain etiquette of like I'm coming here. Here is the vague reason, like things that I want to discuss be ready for that um so he may have worded it in a way of like i want to discuss a proposal is it a like a, a wedding arrangement is it a business arrangement who knows but i want to discuss something very important with you that involves both our families and i think corliss has been kind of vying for this type of arrangement for quite some time that he's like oh yeah i think i know what you're talking about yeah um, he's not dumb. <laughs> No, yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, and also, he did seem to have his demands ready. And there were a couple different levels to this. First, props to Viserys that he immediately was, like, taking a stand already that the firstborn child of Rhaenyra and Laenor would be the heir to the throne, regardless of gender. I mean, oh, yeah. I guess I should have been expecting that. I, to be honest, don't remember reading anything specific about it or these marriage the specifics of the marriage arrangement from Fire and Blood. But despite the fact that I maybe should have been expecting it, it was still really nice to hear. That, I mean, it was the first thing he said, first thing out of his mouth, didn't even blink an eye about it. Mm -hmm. And I get that he has to be of that mindset. Because if he wasn't, if he said, okay, well, yeah, they're firstborn son, then he's immediately putting into question, again, the succession with Rhaenyra. Oh, yeah. But when it came down to the brass tacks, I did kind of understand both Viserys and Corliss's back and forth about the name. Because, yeah, in Viserys's mind, the Targaryen name should be the one on the Iron Throne, particularly if the prophecy that they have really drilled home or knifed let's call it knifed home to us <laughs> over and over again these past several weeks you know not that Corliss knows about that but in Viserys's mind obviously it has to be a Targaryen in name on the Iron Throne but also if none of the kids had the Valerian name yeah Corliss only has a son and a daughter so he would have no his line would die not cool by yeah. Westerosi standards yeah. yeah yeah to be fair Corliss does have a brother but we I don't know the status of any of his children because I don't even remember if it was talked about in the books. So. Yeah. I mean, the name would live on maybe. Mm. And I guess that's maybe the way I should have put it. The name would possibly live on through his brother's line or other family members, but it's, it's still, and of yeah. course there's always like some child, some other child could take the name. I'm not going to say too much about that, but we've seen it. We've seen it happen <laughs> in the future too. So yeah. 
it's but it's not the same as and this is like a weird aside but actually my ex who i'm still very good friends with his family was like obsessed with their family name not dying to the point where i felt pressured to have children because his brother certainly wasn't going to (laughs) and it was this weird like why do you care so much you know i i get that your name is this old family name and your family came over on the mayflower and stuff but like aren't we living in the 21st century? But this is Westeros. So, uh, you know. Okay. <laughs> the names are actually, I actually don't know what my actual like last name is, right? Because my dad was adopted and he didn't know his dad is all. He's okay. a total mystery. So I actually don't even know. So we're like a family of like Jon Snow's. You know? <laughs> so we, we, we just don't know right now. So maybe there'll be something exciting about that in my future, but who knows? Probably not. Yeah. But yeah, I thought this scene was like really cool. You know, honestly, I'm gonna not gonna lie to you. I really focused hard on those ships. I love boats, and I just loved the big flag on it. You know, and all that kind of stuff. The big sail with the all that kind of stupid shit. You know, I do love that. As soon as he hit land, it was just like straight to business. He kind of knew what was going on. Like, look, and with the name, like, I see what he was doing. It just seemed kind of, it kind of cheap, I guess. You know, like on his part, where it's like, oh, it has to have this name because of whatever prophecy or whatever. <clears throat> Westeros patriarchy, though. Yeah. yeah. I think part of it has to do um, with just the fact that it is a dynasty and Aegon the Conqueror had an idea and Viserys for sure does as much as he wants to go down in history and have his name be part in songs. I don't think he wants his name to especially in this moment, to be like the last Targaryen king. He doesn't want to be remembered as that. He doesn't want to be remembered as the king that like passed on the line to someone else. He wants to be remembered as more similarly to Jaehaerys, who is a peacekeeper, but or, but also did had to fight some battles. He understands enough about himself to know that like, he is not he's not any sort of Aegon the Conqueror. Um, but he at least hopes that he could be like his grandfather. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And he I mean he straight up says that later too, mm-hmm. that he regrets that his reign has been so peaceful and everything. But he's extending this offer, which is uh kind of way past due Olive Branch oh, after yeah. he rejected their daughter, who, by the way, you're not really arguing that. I'm so happy about that. Like, listen, Allison was too young too, but Lena was like straight up baby, straight yeah. up daddy. Like, straight up baby. I mean, listen, yes, of course they're not going to say no, but also very sure of yourself there, sir. Yeah. <laughs> On that note, hot take number three is Rhaenyra ex Lenor, hard <laughs> Sort of. I mean, sort of, right? It's my complex shit. Of course it sucks that they can't, that both of them, either of them, can't just do what they want, be with who they want to be with. But in terms of Westerosi, wow, the arranged <laughs> marriages. <laughs> wow. But in terms of Westerosi arranged marriages, it seems like this one between two people who grew up together and care for and respect each other and have an honest conversation right off the bat has a chance to be better than most or maybe had a chance, but we'll talk about that later too. So on that note, I really loved their whole conversation. Maybe so not good. the food comparisons. I, I get why they did that. 
but comparing your sexual proclivities to food has never really done it for me. But their agreement and everything, it was honestly more well done than I even hoped or thought it could be. So I think they went into this with such great prospects. Oh, yeah. They... Like I was kind of imagining that they were going that it was going to be this unspoken sort of arrangement that like she knows Lenor is not interested in her that way. And he could probably guess that like, oh yeah, she's not like super upset that I'm not paying that much attention to her or attention to her in that specific way. That she may have another side piece. But to come out and be like, hey, like, we know each other. We know these things about each other. We don't have to pretend. Like, that's just going to cause more heartache down the line if we're not communicating with each other. So that was, like, A-plus communication. For once, Rhaenyra, you have good communication skills. Please use them. For once, in any sort of Aesop property, there was good communication and i think in fire and blood it's it's only vaguely referenced that maybe they had a conversation and when i say vaguely referenced yeah. i mean like you assume they must have talked about it but oh yeah it's never for sure and it could also just be like you said a silent knowledge of each other and agreement yeah, we, like we don't have to talk about this that's definitely where the show is shining in comparison to the book because the book is just from a historian's point of view and historians aren't i mean it's not like lanor and Nira had this conversation via letters they had this in person with no one else around so obviously historians aren't going to know this but through the show we get to see these conversations and the parts of targaryen history and westerosi history that aren't written actually happen instead of having to guess between the lines. That relationship's going to last forever. That's all I'm saying. I mean, they just came right on the table, and it was like, look, cards on the table, this is how it is, you know? I like this, you like that. We can still get married and do the do the thing, you know? And then we have this. I mean, I love that. I mean, you know, I, I was not expecting that conversation to go like that. I was definitely expecting it to be more like a hidden behind the scenes and, ooh, mystery, and, like, this one's with this one, and that one's with that one, but... All, just the way they just kind of threw their cards on the table, I thought was perfect. I loved it. One would hope, right? Like, they had the potential to last for mm -hmm. quite some time. Especially since they're both dragon riders. You definitely, it's like that, they had the potential to be a very strong union. And that's all I'll say on that. <laughs> Joff, it's so nice to get, and this is for anyone that might know Micah from Twitter. Micah Clark, yeah, Micah right? Clark on Twitter. He's such a fan of all of the minor characters. Like, this guy knows characters that are mentioned twice, maybe, mm -hmm. and that I, like, I completely forget about them. They have no speaking lines. They are just mentioned. And it was so cool to see Joffrey Lawnmouth and get to explore as little as we got of it. It was so cool to see just how well-established Lenor and Joffrey is. And I think this goes back to um, how the showrunners were able to make us fall in love with Rhea Royce for her five minutes on screen. Yeah. You're able to fall in love with Joffrey and understand the relationship and kind of the history that Lenor and Joffrey have with each other through 10 minutes of, in of them interacting with each other. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, oh gosh, I, 
you know what, I really hope they're actually able to make it work together because you also hear in like the wedding scene and some of the wedding scenes that Joffrey seems to be okay with Rhaenyra and ha he's like, hey, if Lane, if Rhaenyra is an important figure in Laenor's life, then she's going to be an important figure in mine and I'll do what I can to make sure that they stay safe. He's just so sweet. But yeah, I think my note was that this is the barrier gaze episode one because Literally. i had canon that Rhea royce is definitely some sort of queer i i don't disagree honestly you look at her and you look at the way that she and damon interacted and especially her being like i know you couldn't finish like <laughs> she's a little eh. <laughs> and if you're listening i just did the like gay <laughs> so hot take number four the reveal Allison God. wasn't expecting. <laughs> Listen, it was predictable from the moment oh, she summoned Kristen. As soon as, soon and as she called Kristen, I was like, this yep. is not going to go out either. That makes sense. Well, to be honest, I, I kind of, at first I was like, okay, well, maybe she's going to straight up ask about Rhaenyra and Damon. But no, literally 30 seconds into the conversation, it was so obvious that she was, unlike good old Otto from last week, she wasn't just playing coy. She was oh, yeah. absolutely just not wanting to say the thing, but hinting very strongly that something untoward happened that night mm -hmm. between Rhaenyra and a man. Yes. And She's asking Kristen these leading questions without mentioning Damon's name. And it was obvious, like, so soon that he was going to confess. And I was just sitting there. He was, like, he was ready to break. <laughs> yeah. I was just, it, I will say this. I feel like he should have been sweating it more. Oh, I, for sure. I would give him, like, two out of ten Targ eyebrows for his acting in this scene. Or maybe it was the writing. Maybe it was the directing. But he was not sweating this enough no. because he was just sitting there like very cool, collected, and calm. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, it was me. And <laughs> I was like, okay, like I expected you to confess because, it, you know, Allison is unwittingly leading you toward this confession by not saying the name of the person she believes Renera hooked up with. But, like, you probably should have been more nervous about this literally the entire time. Even when he asks well, for clemency, he's if, just kind of like, please grant me clemency. Don't don't geld and torture me. Yeah, if he went into that conversation thinking that she was talking about him, like, there are, I don't know if it's obvious for show-only watchers, but there are serious ramifications for breaking those, the mm. oaths of the White Cloak. And the oath of the king's guard there are serious ramifications which i think he touches on like you get that like oh because he broke this specific oath he could possibly be gelded or maimed but like it's very serious and he really should have been sweating more well dean actually was sitting next to me and he's not read any of the books and he was like wait wait wait, 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 wait. what they're supposed to be celibate he didn't yeah. know <laughs> because while you see Barristan, of course you get some of Barristan and, and oh, yeah. very vague other Kingsguard members in Game of Thrones the only one you really know is Jamie, who's very obviously breaking that vow so he had no idea that it was a vow that they even took and I was like 
yeah, dude, it's like the maesters also aren't supposed to, but do all the yeah. time. The Night's Watch also aren't supposed to, but most of them still go to Molestown. Manny, did you know that that was part of their vows? I didn't know it was part of their vows, but like the way this show is written as compared to like the other one, honestly, and then um, going back to like Damon's wife, like the fact that they can say so much by not saying anything at all, I think is where this show is really golden. So when I see him and, you know, he's the white club people or whatnot, you know, like to me, I'm like, oh, they're paladins. Right. Like, that's why I see them. They're not knights. They're paladins. So when he started saying, oh, well, I can't because I'm supposed to, like, not do this. Like, that wasn't a surprise to me because I had already gotten that vibe from them. You know, like Jamie Lannister was like he was a knight, but he was like a dickhead. Right. I mean, <laughs> I mean, at least at first. Anyway, he was just kind of a dick. Right. And it's just like, oh, OK, this is just some cocky ass fucking knight. But with these guys, I just instantly was drawn. When I play d and I always play a paladin. It's like my favorite character. It's like. I instantly gravitated towards that about him where I'm like, I know what he is. He's, he's a paladin. He's, she shouldn't be having sex. Cause even when that happened in that episode where, where, where they had gotten together, I was already like, dude, uh, 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 you know, like you're going to pay the price for that in some way, because you're not supposed mm-hmm. to be doing, you're not some sleazy knight. You're like a protector, you know? And that's what mm-hmm. paladins yeah. are. And that's what you need to do. And you need to sacrifice any sense of self for you to do that. Yeah. Especially so, thinking in D and D terms that there's a certain oath that's taken and those oaths come with like certain sacrifices. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's exactly what the Kingsguard is supposed to be. Whether they achieve that ideal or not, it depends on the person. It depends on the king at the time. Yeah, and, and the I really fort th- and the knight commander. Yeah, and I really think that with how calm he was, that one didn't really. Because look, it's like when you hit that point where you know you're going to get executed, right? Or like when someone's like going to die, you know, there's like that calm that happens where they're just like, you know what? They're just kind of, this is my fate. This is what as it is. And that was, to me, that was another paladin thing, right? He knew he did wrong. He has to pay the price for that. And he was ready for it and to accept it. So he was just like, this is exactly what happened. I deserve justice. Boom. Do it. So honestly, with him not sweating bullets, it didn't. To me, it, it was it was at least just from like my view. Maybe I'm wrong. It just felt like that's totally part of the thing that yeah. he had already like accepted his fate. Like he accepted it. He knew he did wrong. He went against his oath, and he knows that he needs to die. And he's like, you know what? I guess I absolutely deserve to die. This is what I did. I'm not worried about it because it's you know righteous judgment. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I will say on Allison's side of things. Wow, she got super <laughs> upset, and I get it because, <laughs> quote, Rhaenyra lied to her, unquote, yeah. but did she? Because Rhaenyra very specifically said nothing happened with Damon. She didn't. Yeah. I, I mean, to be fair, I think that is all that we know as watchers, that's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> but right. like from what from the context that Allison has, she like technically doesn't know yeah. what truly happened with Damon. But like it's one of those things that because I've been in similar situations of friends or people who I thought were good friends ended up using me as a way to cover for them as they were going outside of their relationship or beyond the boundaries of the relationship with like a romantic partner and they never specifically lied to me they just said that they were with someone else and but like then you're getting caught up in the lie and it's so frustrating afterwards to be like mm-hmm. 
Like, if you had just told me, I'm like, I probably still would have been upset. But like, it's one of these ways that like, but there's also like layers of context because my, if my friend told me that like they went outside the relationship, I'm not a queen. So like, I don't have the ability to be like, oh, that's so horrible. You're basically a traitor to the throne now. So I think there's a reason why Rhaenyra didn't tell her. Yeah. I can I will say that Allison's upset because she's in love with Rhaenyra. That's why. (laughs) See, I don't uh, I always I I felt from the start that it was more on Rhaenyra's end than it was on Allison's. Mm -hmm. And for me this felt more like she was kind of self-righteously angry. But more because her friend didn't tell her the truth. Her dad got removed from being hand of the king. Good riddance. Good, <laughs> good, good old riddance. <laughs> the good old auto. Yeah. But I, I mean, I'm not saying that there weren't that there aren't strong feelings on Allison's part at all. Mm-hmm. I just, for me, it looked like it was more on Rhaenyra's side. But also, we we only really saw Rhaenyra being upset about the marriage and we didn't really see much from Allison's end of things until she was trying to repair her relationship with Rhaenyra and saying like, I miss you and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. I do not discount the fact that there are feelings on Allison's side as well. And also it could be like a repressed, it could be like a, I I think it's a lot of repressed because we see and it's kind of alluded to in this episode too, but it's been alluded in the past that Allison is a little more religious than is a lot more religious than Rhaenyra. And I don't know if it's obvious enough in the show yet, but the high towers are very powerful within the faith of the seven. So they have strong roots there. That's how they became as powerful as they are by allying through the seven with Aegon the Conqueror. So there's that deep history, whereas Rhaenyra is able to kind of be like, the faith is a thing that I have to do as a ruler of, of these people who follow this faith, but it's not like necessarily important to me. For Alicent, it seems far more important for her. Um, mm-hmm. This is like actual faith and... While I don't think in the books that the faith is like openly homophobic, um, they definitely make it seem more um, anti um, or anti queer and anti LGBT within the TV series. So yeah. you, if she was grew, grew up on that, is very religious and is now feeling very strong emotions for her best friend, she's probably very, 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 very angry. Not just Rhaenyra, but also at herself. I don't uh, disagree that Allison's religion possibly affected her feelings on how she felt, basically. So honestly, I kind of saw this one from like a different angle. um, Because I didn't, you know, honestly, it really didn't hit me too much that they might actually be into each other. Because like, like when I was younger... um, you know, I had like friends, guy friends, mm-hmm. girlfriends, you know, like, and just like, whatever. Right. And when one yeah. of my guy friends would like get together with someone or like start hooking up with someone and that's going to be their girlfriend, like I had the same reaction to it. Right. There's because still I was, like, that like, especially when like as a kid, 
you don't really have you haven't quite figured out those boundaries between how to balance your friendships and your romantic relationships. So when your guy friends started dating someone, they might put all their time in there and you're like, I miss you, dude. Like, yeah. And that's, and that's what, what it kind of came down to, you know, like, cause it was just, mm -hmm. cause to me it was just like, a, you know, it's like camaraderie, you know, and it was just like, Oh, it's us dudes hanging out. And like, now mm -hmm. one of them is going to be gone. And this is like the only like guy that, you know, and there wasn't, you know, I've ne I never had like like an attraction towards this guy or to one of my friends at the time. You know, they were, but they were just like my companion. There was one that I, that I was with, you know, around them all the time. Oh, yeah. And now that they're like gone, it's like, you know, you kind of get mad about it. Right. And then you kind of yeah. like don't, you know, like it's not even so much of just like, okay, this is, you just just get mad. So I don't know. So when I saw that scene, I, that, that's how I kind of took it. I was like, oh, you know what? Like, you know, Allison got married so young to like begin with. Oh, yeah. This was like one of her only friends. And now it's like she's married. So she's stuck in this thing. And then now, you know, she's going to be going now or now she's sleeping with, you know, this guy. And now she's just kind of pissed because now she's like, well, fuck, I don't got anything now. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, it's like my last friend. There's also that like, I think we, it's something that is kind of a universal experience that as you get older, there are childhood friends that are with me until my, and up into my adulthood. But there's also people that like, as we came back from college, realizing that our, we no longer have the same thing, like the same interests. We no longer relate to each other in the same way. You still, but like, you still want that friendship because you're like, mm. I remember how it was. And this person was very important to me, but how can I connect to you now? And just that loss of that friendship, it sucks. And it can make you very angry to be like, how you changed so much when, when it's fair that like both of you have changed, both of you have yeah. grown up. But yeah, there's this show is hitting me so much more than the books. Simply mm -hmm. be by making Allison closer in age to Rhaenyra, you get that there. there's both the really intense friendship that happens between young women. And I think it happens, there's intense relationships that happen in your teens, regardless of if you're a closeted gay man or a lesbian woman. There's in, these intense relationships. And eventually you're going to grow up and part ways and just the dealing with that and the fallout of those relationships and how difficult they are. I was not expecting that. Yeah, well, and then, you know, add in the fact that she married her yeah. best friend. Yeah, your father. best friend is not your stepmom. Yeah. That... yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you yeah, have to we... deal with that when you're like 15 years old. Yeah. And also, I don't, I don't know any 15-year-old that's like emotionally mature enough to deal with the fact that their best friend is now their step parent. No. There's, there's no there's no teenager. Well, I mean in this no. day and age there you are, are really hope that wouldn't there happen. Are, yeah. There are few adults that I also know that are emotionally capable of dealing with that. They're adding a whole new like dozens of layers to Allison mm -hmm. that didn't really exist in the books and it's it's going to create some issues. <laughs> yup. Again, maybe Allison, you know, you should communicate with Renera. Sighs, gestures at lack of communication in all of those things. <laughs>
So Meg, did you want to talk about your hot take four and a half about Lara Strong versus oh, God? So it just came to me when I, as soon as I saw him on screen this episode, I am one of these people that views Willis Tyrell, who is not shown in the TV series Game of Thrones, but he is a background like tertiary character in the books mentioned only a couple handful of times doesn't have any speaking lines i view him as someone who is actually a decent person he is actually who marjorie and elena tyrell say he is for those of you who don't know willis tyrell is the eldest son of the tyrells and he was injured in a, um, an attorney in his youth which gives him a bad leg um so he walks he's a essentially disabled, but um, he is presented in the books as a marriage option to Sansa Stark by Marjorie Tyrell and Elena. Um, and for the most part, I believe that he is actually the person that they say he is, that he is a decent person. But there are some um, interpretations of his character that are very interesting in that he could be this more calculating person, a more Tywin type figure who is okay moving people um, like chess pieces. And so when I saw Lara Strong on screen, I'm like, this is who Willis Tyrell could have been. <laughs> if he if he had spent more time be- in King's Landing, um, and if, if Elena had pushed maybe a little bit more for him to be that type of person, he could have been a Lara Strong type character. And as well, I made a co- I made a Willis Tyrell costume and it's in very similar color tones to Lara Strong. So as soon as I saw it, I was like, that's that could have been Willis. Matthew Needham, I you could convince me could be a good Willis face. I think he could yeah. like embody that character really well. We're gonna move on to hot take number five. Sir Cole of House Law has gone off the deep end. He's like, he's added some spicy Dijon mustard to his usual mayonnaise mix. Listen, uh, so he straight up asks Rhaenyra to run away with him, which like, ugh, dude, come on. Uh, And I get him being angry with her for, like we said in the summary, her like just wanting him to be her side piece, but also he, she initiated it to an extent, but he was obviously interested. It wasn't like there was anything forceful going on there, right? And there 40 pounds of armor to remove. That takes time. Yeah. And only now that she has refused to run away with him is he all schneh about soiling his white cloak. Dudes be dumb. Like, dudes be dumb. I just, and this is, there's so yeah. much from Fire and Blood that is left open ended, right? It is literally, we get two separate sides of the story. The section says that Kristen Cole approached Rhaenyra and wanted to run away with her. Um, but she said no. Mushroom says that Damon coached Rhaenyra mm-hmm. into seducing, in how to seduce Kristen Cole. And she came to Kristen Cole with just the cloak on and nothing underneath. Oh no, my white cloak. No, yes. No. I really like this amalgamation of those stories, right? Because it takes bits and pieces and also inserts its own portions. And, you know, we always knew neither one of those could possibly be the entire truth, right? There was way too much 
I, I, I'm not going to get into it too much, but there's way too much nastiness and anger between the two of them in the future for it to have been the simple, one of them refused the other, bang, that's it. So I really, really like what they're doing with this. What I don't like is it did really seem like way too fast of an about face on Kristen Cole's mm -hmm. end because like, dude, come on. She is the princess. Even if, even if she wasn't slated to be the queen, which she is, what did you really think was going to happen? And also, goddamn girl, you are that good? Because, you know, she didn't actually get taught by Damon to do anything, no. right? They just had a little bit of a back and forth. Ew, gross. Get this over with. I don't want to see it ever. Not going to get into that too much. But, like, for fuck's sake, what did she do to him? Does she have, like... A golden vagina or something? <laughs> I just... No, he's just a virgin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, but he's so much older than her, and also like, he was like a hedge knight and stuff. Like, really? This is true. You think he's? You think he was a virgin? <laughs> I like to joke that he is. I mean, I don't necessarily disagree, right? There's a possibility. Like, look at Dunk mm -hmm. from <laughs> Night of the Seven Games. Dunk was never going to force himself on somebody. And I don't think Kristen Cole would either. But that also doesn't mean that if somebody came to them willingly, they oh, wouldn't yeah. be like, yeah, Dunk fucks, man. So does Kristen <laughs> Cole, right? <laughs> Dunk uh, sorry that that's a that's an ice and fire con mock trial 2019 take. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think his character's like turnaround was like a bit much <clears throat> i mean i kind of like under like i think that yeah like he just went way too i mean he let out the throttle a little a little too hard on it you know now him getting like obsessed with rainier look the way i see it is like you have this paladin they're they're like the tanks right their entire life is sacrifice and sacrifice they are shadows that's all they are they're in the, they're, they're in the shadows and they die and they fight for you you know they're never paid attention to as soon as one of them dies there's another one to come in and replace them right so this is like the one time that somebody paid attention to him right you know and i think that's why at least in my brain i'm like okay the guy just went off the deep end because he's like holy shit you mean this is what attention feels like you know, and maybe that's what caused them to just go over the deep end. Now, I do think they just went a little, a little too hard on that one where I was like, look, dude, I mean, <laughs> you know, we all get mad, but bro, like, come on. I think that was the only part where they're like, for me, there was like, a, there, there was a little bit of a disconnect there where it's like, I understood what they were trying, like the story they were trying to tell and like why he was crazy like that. Like, I, I just saw it. I was like, you know what? I've read characters like this in the past. Like, I kind of have an idea of what they're trying to portray here like what his character is going through but i think the fact that he just went he just went a little too far you know and then at that point it was like bro go kill yourself you know like <laughs> it's too much you know yeah i think this is this might be the one major flaw that Puss of the dragon has is that they are speeding up the timeline or they're they're at least shortening the timeline between certain events like we are about to go into the 10 year time skip and so there was a lot of things that they had to hit by episode five and to make sure that that happened you don't get as much you don't get the space for things to settle in for mm -hmm. Kristen Cole to have that like Javert moment of holy crap I have done so wrong I just need to die I can't redeem myself there's no time for him to sit within those emotions 
and just go off the rails. But also, That's- he's so dramatic. He's yeah. such, I'm sorry, <laughs> but he's just such a whiny... He's kind of a fuckboy in this episode. I know Catholic boys that are like this. Catholic boys that go into seminary that are very like this. Because That's I what I was going to say. Is like Maybe he was a paladin at a young age. They just had him in there at a young age and... Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't really know any better, you know? Yeah. Just, so there's you, just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so when there's you say, no like, like Catholic boy, I'm like, yeah, okay, you're absolutely right about that. Like, that's exactly what's going on there, yeah. And then also, you know, of course, the big thing is not only does he freak out very suddenly about the fact that he still feels like close, but... Then they're at the opening wedding celebration and Joffrey Lawnmouth comes up to him and he's not being questionable or anything. He is literally like, hey, my dude, you love her. I love him. We both have to be there for these people that we care about and protect them. He was making sure they were on the same page and made the worst mistake of his life. It was so awful because, yeah, like that's what I was saying, like Joffrey cares he cares so much about Lainor and because Rhaenyra is going to be important to Lainor in the future he's like I'm going to make sure that this relationship that they publicly can be safe so that like I can still have my relationship and probably he would if things were allowed to be nice for once in Westeros um he probably would have he and Rhaenyra probably would have been friends um in the future but he made the worst mistake of talking to a um, paladin with immense amount of Catholic guilt um, who doesn't know how to regulate his emotions. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, because like he was like, yeah, we're let's be on the same page. We're going they're going to need defenders. We're going to defend them. Mm-hmm. And Unfortunately, Kristen's definition of defending Rhaenyra involves taking out certain other people. I don't even think he was defending Rhaenyra. I think he flipped his shit. Yeah, about, I think it was just rage. Yeah, like, oh, for sure. I, 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 about uh, not, yeah, not even defending Rhaenyra. He was just so mm-hmm. rage monster. And like taking out someone, like you know, you, you knife him in the back, you hit him with an arrow to distance. This was not taking someone out. This yeah. was like steamrolling somebody. I mean, this was like pure rage and hate and it happened so weirdly because joffrey talked to him and then left and and like like people were dancing and we went like we went back and watched that whole entire scene and paused it several times like okay where are they now where are they now where are they now and no, no no matter what we did we could not figure out how it got from point A to point B. I would almost think that Damon and Rhaenyra were not being subtle during the no. dance. No. Unfortunately, when you have platinum blonde hair among a sea of dark-haired people, you're really noticeable. So my guess would be that Kristen saw that because we see that Viserys is watching that too and he's getting very upset that if Kristen saw that, he then he can't punch the prince he can't punch Damon. he can't take out Damon, and he certainly can't take out lanor but he can take out joffrey and that's that was his target that was the only target he had at the moment and he that really was, took him out that was gross oh it was, was so gross. awful 
I mean, Dean so Dean worked awesome. in film for a long time, and he didn't do makeup himself, but he saw a lot of like horror film type makeup and stuff like that. And he was like, "Wow, that's really good." Like, I don't even know if that's makeup. That's like really good. And I was like, "Okay, well, I don't want to watch it. I don't need to watch <laughs> first, it." Again. Like, I already saw it once, and so like as soon as it came up, as we were like going through that scene, I'm like mm-hmm. putting my hands up, like, "Nope, nope, nope. Don't need to see uh, that again." I kept. I knew no one was going to be able to save him, but I kept waiting for like Lenore to either get up or even Harwin to get there and knock some sense into Kristen. I was waiting for the Night Commander to come in and be like, knock it off. You need, like, pull Kristen out by a scruff and be like, you need to stop this. Kristen straight up slugged Lenor. Nobody did anything. No. I can understand that the regular nobility can't do anything because what are you going to do against a guy in plate mail? Like, the fact that no other Kingsguard came in to either crowd control because the princess is getting knocked down. Harwin Strong, he ran in and stole our hearts. That's fine. They had to like point to Harwin and be like, go get her because no other Kingsguard is doing anything. For me, it was one of those like, I know that Joffrey's going to die because unfortunately I've read the book. But I was like, oh, please, someone step up. And no one did. And it was just <sighs> very sad. Yeah. Did you think that Joff was going to die, Manny? No, me? that one kind of got me by surprise, actually, like that. Because I feel like he was tackling it the same way that Rhaenyra and the dude was. Like, hey, just throw the cards on the table, you know? Like, if I was in that position and the guy just came up to me and was like, hey, man, this is how it is. This is what we got to do. I'd be like, all right, cool, man. You know, that's awesome that you're so upfront. You know, so that way there isn't any kind of, like, weird, like, well, what are you doing kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? Like I say, cards <laughs> yeah. on the table, like... I think that's that's great. They're both each other's counterparts. I think at that point... But he know, also is... didn't know the other part of the backstory. But yeah. still... <sighs> it's just a bit much. I honestly think that, you know what, it's true. It's like the, the Catholic guilt thing, right? Like he's a paladin, he's done wrong things, right? Like he's just doing these wrong things now all of a sudden. And now he sees more wrong around him. And he's like, oh my God, I have to overcompensate because of the wrong that I did. You know? Mm-hmm. And that's like, you know, that's how that whole thing goes i gotta hide behind everyone else's problems to hide my own you know so he just went off his fucking rocker man there's a book series that i absolutely love that weirdly enough we're actually about to start covering on my sagas and sass uh webcast called red rising it's the red rising saga and in the saga there is it's a character but it's really a position called the rage knight (laughs) and all i could think of when i saw Kristen. Doing what he was doing in this episode yeah, was perfect. Rage Night from the Red Rising Saga. On that note, hot take number six. Hear ye, hear ye. All further wedding celebrations are canceled. It's time for a shotgun wedding, y'all. <laughs> so what would the drama, all the drama, from the wedding celebration kick off? And Viserys is clearly failing help because he's like bleeding out the nose during the whole fight scene. They just go ahead and seal the deal between Rhaenyra and Lenor. I mean, immediately, like we said in the summary, it's like it they're so in hard. that hall with the remains of the feast all oh, over yeah. the tables around them. I wasn't expecting it to be quite that quick, but you no, know, I thought they would have at least gotten to a sept. Like, yeah, no, the, um, the story or like the sept. Well, it wouldn't be the sept of Baylor yet. But, like, there's a sept nearby. They can go outside. Yeah, there's a sept in the Red Keep. Yeah. Like, you couldn't get there. You couldn't just, 
Like you had to nope. do it in front of the feast. All right. Right where Lenor's lover died. There's a rat that comes up and is like, beep, beep. Yeah. And, and also poor Lenor literally just saw his lover die. And he's sitting there like wiping blood from his nose, promising his life to Rhaenyra. It and was. he also knows, right? Because Joffrey told him mm-hmm. before he went and talked to Kristen. Oh, yeah. Honestly, like zero out of 10 Targ eyebrows for poor Lenor having yep. to go through with this wedding right yeah. after his, you know, now wife's lover that he knows about mm-hmm. murdered his lover. And and yep. I don't know if he, I, I can't remember, I will say I can't remember if he saw the two of them talking. I don't recall. But even if he didn't see them, there's no way he's not coming out of this with like a, how the fuck did this happen? And also, how did no, how is nobody questioning this? The fact that Sir Kristen is able to just walk away, it's part of that Westerosi justice. The, fa- the Kingsguard are supposed to be untouchable mm-hmm. because they're supposed to be so honorable. So there's probably that like, oh, he must have done something for Sir Kristen to have done that. But God, it's so awful. And you can see on Rhaenyra's face, too, that she knows she's also feeling terrible. She cares about Lenor, and she understood that, like, this guy meant everything to you. Yep. And now he's dead. I might be to blame. And also, just, you know, side note. Maybe, probably, definitely, the Grand Maester should listen to Maester Orwile about those herbal poultices because clearly leeches aren't working that well and trying something new would be better. (laughs) Because, like, earlier it was kind of just like a shrug off sort of thing. It was actually almost one of my hot takes. I watched the episode again. I was like, no, 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 no. Nope. I have better things to talk about. But Mm -hmm. Viserys literally collapses at the end of this. And Dean who, again, has not read the books, was like, wait, did he just die? Like, did they have? Did they get married? Did they have this shotgun wedding because he was about to die? And I was like, I don't... He shouldn't be dead yet. <laughs> Manny, what about you? Like, did you... What were your thoughts on the sudden wedding? I did not like it. I thought it was gross. It's like, dude, like, someone just died over there, you know? Let's, now we're going to get married, like, right here. Like, we can literally just... Like, we can go to the public toilet and it's going to be cleaner than these floors down here, as opposed to just like, like, seriously, like, bro, there's a rat sipping on the blood over there. You know, like, that's not a good omen. That's not a good way to open up your like marriage. Like, yeah, we were at some crazy party and then we were going to get married and my knight just bashed this other dude's face until it turned into like spaghetti. And then we decided, hey, let's just get married right now, right here. And I just had spaghetti for dinner last night. Why are you doing (laughs) this to me? But yeah, so to me, it was like, I felt like the end of that episode was, I don't know if they were just trying to rush it. I feel like some things in this show, I want to say this show is doing so many really good things and they're doing it so right. But I feel like every now and then some of their scene transitions are really weird and kind of quick and just kind of like off base where it's like, oh, okay. So they're just going to get married i got a great idea why don't you go back over there where the blood is and you can go consummate the marriage you know while you're at it i had obviously my hbo max player up so i could see how much time there was left so like i knew that they're they weren't going to end it where i thought they would but like Kristen looking up and everyone in the dance hall in the mess hall just freezing and lanor crying and crawling over to joffrey 
could have been a great place to end that episode. Yeah, like that's you are getting to this place where the horror is setting in. Mm-hmm. And but yeah, I think it's just from my understanding is that they weren't entirely sure they were ever going to get a season two. It wasn't 100% a guarantee. So they wanted to try and fit in as much as they could within season one and try and tell as much of the story as they could. So that's where like that is coming back to bite him in the ass. Because they just, you don't get to sit with the story as much. Well, I mean, and I also think that it probably would have been awkward for them to cut it off there. They could have, I guess, just skipped the wedding entirely. But then we'd be led to believe that they had a whole week's worth of wedding celebrations after this just absolutely horrific situation that happened. Mm -hmm. And I will say, this this is kind of like a an aside it's only indirectly related to this hot take but Kristen going off to the godswood and again dean who hasn't read the books is like no no man don't do it don't kill yourself don't do it and but where the fuck like when what is the timeline of this because i have no clue like they're showing it kind of interspersed with each other and it's like allison is at the wedding and then she's no clue. at the godswood right before he is about to stab himself in the stomach. Which also, yeah. I, dude, what are yeah. you doing? That is, that is not the sign of somebody who really wants to end their own life, right? Like, yeah. that is a painful, yeah. long death stabbing yourself in the gut. Yep. Yep. Which you oh, might agree. feel that he deserves, but I suppose, I suppose. Who knows? But Allison is at the wedding and then shows up to stop mm-hmm. him from doing this. And also, how did she know? And I have a lot of questions about the end of the yeah. episode in terms of that, but I have a theory that she's probably keeping her eye out on him now, ever since he told her that he slept with Rhaenyra that she's been keeping an eye out on him to see like what is absolutely because she no longer trusts Rhaenyra after that Rhaenyra is going to notice if someone's spying on her because she is now highly aware especially after what happened with Otto but I could probably keep an eye out on Kristen and because he's so distraught that no one's going to notice and he won't even notice. I mean, 10 out of 10 targ eyebrows for Allison's timing there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's going to latch onto her like she is the Virgin Mary. Oh lord. But also that green dress. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get into that because that <laughs> number 7 is the costumes of course. And uh... we've touched on some things Damon's armor particularly in the first episode (laughs) but we haven't really talked too much about the costumes but with Megan being our costume aficionado and I say that in the most serious way possible you are a cosplayer but you also went to school for I went to school for fashion design and I make historical costumes as my profession for a museum correct yes for his yeah. So we simply have to give these their own hot take this week. <laughs> Maybe kind of finally, not just because of, you know, mm-hmm. Megan being our guest, but also because, <laughs> first of all, Rhea's armor, bronze, wounds. Oh, yeah. I love it. It was like, oh, so yeah. beautiful. <sighs> oh, yeah. I already like, have a couple of friends that are like, considering putting it into their cosplay lineup yeah for... like i don't care like they don't care that she had five minutes nope. on screen they're like it's just badass i want this yeah. armor we might see at least one ray of royce at ice and fire con i've so. got my fingers crossed if i don't see at least one 
Rhea Royce to fawn over. Talking to a couple of the cosplayers, I'm like, I think there's going to be at least one. It was so beautiful. I was in awe. Again, even Dean, who hasn't read the books and has no idea about the Royce armor and how it's supposed to look, was like, oh, that is some kick-ass armor. So, Manny, what were your thoughts on it, not knowing the character at all or knowing the house really at all, because they barely introduced them in Game of Thrones. I mean... I loved it. Completely on board with it, you know? I just, I hate that it was so short, because like I said, there's like, it's just good writing, man, when you can just bring something up and the way they presented it and like the armor and the clothes and like all this stuff and it was just so perfect you know and it was like Jenna was just gone and also like, yeah. she was super pretty Damon's constantly talking shit about her in a way that makes her sound like she's ugly and I was like so pretty and I was surprised when they opened up and it would in- introduced herself and I was like this is the ugly one you're talking about <laughs> like it's not ugly this you know like what are you talking bitch. about yeah, this, this is, is a bronze bitch. bitch. Like she's fucking gorgeous. Like, what are you talking about? I would literally throw myself at her feet and be like, "Please take me." I would do so. I would do anything for her. <laughs> but you already mentioned briefly, Allison, the green dress, oh, yeah. etc. And it's... I'll be honest, I'm not sure mm-hmm. I love the cut of the gown. That's like a personal preference. I get mm-hmm. that they were trying to show her being confident in herself and who she really is, what she wants. It being, you know, her shoulders. She she's had her shoulders bare quite a bit in a few the show, times, yeah. but it was the bare shoulders and also the low slit with the cleavage mm-hmm. in the middle oh, and yeah. very, very, very green. And of course, the obvious explanation of what's the color that the high towers light their beacons when they're calling people to war? Oh, it's green. I love green. that it's Laris that. D- Gives us that information to Harwin, by the way, who later saved Rhaenyra, but but it's also Harwin is like looking on, like he knows, he knows too. Yeah. Oh my god, it was so good for me. What I really love about that dress is it's very reminiscent of actual medieval dresses. We can see that in tapestries like the Lady and the Unicorn, some of the Bayou tapestries. It's a very popular cut of a dress from like the 11th and 12th centuries. So when I saw that, I was like, because that's kind of where I was in Game of Thrones. I was like, oh, wow, I wish they went a little bit more into some of the weird fashions from history as actual inspiration for a show that is supposed to be medieval fantasy. The clothing is not very medieval. So to see that, I was like, oh, beautiful. Love it. And just feeds into the theory that Allison is like a Sansa AU, basically, because that green fabric is very similar to her Blackwater dress fabric, which is something I did notice. For me, it was very fun to see that dress. It is definitely on my potential. I I have like so many Allison dresses on my potential cosplay list. Every time it comes on screen, I either have to keep it on the list or take it off. So we're, we're going to see how much actually stays on and then I'll have to narrow it down. But. I think you have to get through the end of the season. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. like some of her adult yeah. dresses where I'm like, that one. That green dress has a place on the possibility list. I also think it was just, again, it was so powerful that she mm. walked in in the middle of Viserys' speech and he that like is... lost his shit. Like yeah. that is the Allison that I was expecting yes. from the show. When they first said that they're going to be doing this show, I was like, oh gosh, cannot wait to hate on Allison. 
cannot wait for this Cersei character. And then they started making me love her. And now that she came and did this, and I'm like, ah, there's the Allison I've been waiting for. Yeah. She was very much good old Otto's daughter in that book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. This is Allison is, she is making, we are not the same anymore. No, I can, I can definitely see that. I really liked that scene. And I already knew something was up when she walked in wearing it. I was like, oh, okay. I'm familiar with gang violence. I know what's going on here. <laughs> You know, I know what's happening. It's interesting for me to see her go to green because when we first meet her, she's in her blues. Um, She wears one of her mother's dresses that's also blue. And then after she's married, she quickly goes to a, my friend and I have been calling it not, not quite Targaryen red. She's trying to emulate the Targaryens, but anytime she's wearing red, you can tell that it's like a shade or two off from the reds of the rest of the actual Targaryen family, which has been so interesting. And so for her to go from the red color to green, which is the opposite color on the color wheel, and in color theory, those are those two are opposite colors, is just, oh, that was, it was very delicious to see. In contrast to like Rhaenyra's wedding dress. Which wasn't supposed to necessarily be her wedding dress, but... No. <laughs> I was very meh about what she was wearing. I think the hairstyle is what threw me off. The dress itself is a very pretty dress, but the hairstyle was kind of, again, going into like some of the weird, the weirdness of how early fashion could have been. And I was like, so I appreciate that, but I'm like, "Mm." especially after we're used to 10 years of Game of Thrones, hair down, very curly styles to have a lot of more updos is is taking a lot of getting used to and i think that the hairstyle and that was a miss this the style as of the wedding dress is very much one of those like i don't know if it's my favorite but it's definitely very a targaryen dress and mm. i appreciate that yeah i don't disagree with that and i get that it was supposed to be just the intro dress for yeah. <laughs> her wedding week because apparently Mm -hmm. that's a thing that exists you know but Mm -hmm. at the same time it's like oh but you're a queen you should start it off stronger than this (laughs) probably (laughs) although nothing can compare to the valerians all coming in as one all decked out in like that gold and I, i swear it's not black because i'm seeing some other photos and some like better quality stills and like it's like a very dark teal green which is very interesting to see that, um, especially when tied to the Valerians. I'm just unfortunately for the Targaryens, the Valerians are very rich right now, mm-hmm. so they're just gonna keep showing up and showing out. And God, Lena and Lenor are just—they are two pieces of the pod, just looking absolutely beautiful, absolutely stunning. It's really fun to see the ruffles and the off-the-shoulder moment mm. repeated for Lena. I love that that it's just a continuous motif for her. Her wig looked a lot better too. Oh yeah, they're getting better. (laughs) I think part of it is that like, it's just hard to get wigs on children sometimes. Yeah, it literally looked like they just plopped a giant thing on her head for the earlier episodes. So doing dressing for like local theater, it's very difficult to get kids into wigs. Lenore and Joffrey being these like opposite but complementary outfits with just like the sadness. Certain looks, but also breaking my heart. There was a lot of good costume moments. I yeah. loved Rainey's just oh, tunic. That was so good. 
tunic and and pants. That was the first time I've seen something in this show where I was like, I want to cosplay that. This is going to be like a main cosplay episode. I'm going to like, I'm putting bets down that like, we're going to see a lot of that Rainus outfit. We're going to see a lot of um, Rainier's wedding dress or her coat. We're going to see a lot of Allison in that green dress. Yeah. Those, I, that's my prediction for like the next five years. I am just like, I am comfort plus right now <laughs> when it comes to cosplay. And I saw that and I was like, I mean, I don't think I want to do like makeup to make myself look 20 years older. But, and also her hair wasn't terrible in this episode, but she still got that weird thing on the back of her yeah. head, her hair that I'm like, oh, I don't that. She's got like the actually yeah the bump it yeah. <laughs> God, what what year was the bump it probably like circle like two thousand three or something? You want to hate me? It was when I was in middle school. Oh God. Oh Jesus. Manny and I, the old folk, are yes. <laughs> going. This is going to be the main cosplay episode for like the young kids, and then we're going to. I have some thoughts on where I think the next cosplay episode is going to be for the adults. This has a lot of outfits that are going to be very popular for the next at least the next couple of years i agree with that completely how that comes out it was a good episode because it really did showcase like the craftsmanship and i I really like that they did focus on it you know because i think that's one thing that they just kind of like i wouldn't even say that they kind of blew by because they have been doing a good job i just think this show has done such a good job in capturing my attention that i don't pay attention to details like that Mm -hmm. as with like game of thrones there was like there was a lot of episodes that i'm like Eh, okay you know mm-hmm. but like i paid attention to like the random things like wow that guy's got a great scarf i want yeah. that scarf but in this one i honestly a lot of that stuff just kind of flew over my head this time around because the story and the characters and everything is really drawing me in mm-hmm. yeah last but not least we had to start this last week honorable mention <laughs> for a hot take is we got a new location driftmark and we got to see the driftwood throne mm-hmm. dean said Driftmark looked dreary, and I guess he's not totally wrong, but I, I loved it. It's great, especially in comparison to the Court of House Manderley that I yeah. cannot for the life of me think of their seat name. Granted, this is like they were introduced in like season six or something, so it was very dreary by that time. So it like in comparison to another like water-based house, I'm like, Driftmark is pretty open and pretty sunny. <laughs> I will say the Driftwood throne, I was a little bit disappointed in it. Like, that's the throne that was rumored to be given to the Valerians by the Merlin King. I feel like they went Game of Thrones with this throne when they should have gone House of the Dragon with this throne. There were too many nails. It should have been more wild. Driftwood, when it's like really softened by the water and stuff, can be very colorful and misshapen and gorgeous. And I just... I feel like they didn't capture that. And I'm, you know, yeah. I'm a little bit I would have wanted more like that natural look instead of a card yeah. look. They're like nailed together. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. and I guess like if you haven't read the books and you don't know that this is a throne that was supposedly gifted to them by the Merlin King. And I know that's like a rumor, whatever, but still there's a look to it that would have portrayed it being gifted to them by the Merlin King who may mm-hmm. or may not exist. So, yeah. They should have just been more clear with it. They're like, hey, you want to know something that's cool about this throne? What's that? You're not going to get leprosy from it. Check it out. It doesn't look as good, but it's not going to kill you from some infection. All right. You're not going to get MRSA from it. Exactly. No MRSA here. 
Oh no. It's not bitey. It's not bitey. It's you, not bitey. You, might, you might get some slivers from it. Slivers. But... What's a little lockjaw? I mean, it's better than, you know, you know, than the leprosy. So, you know, don't worry about it. Oh lord. Okay, so it's time finally for our favorites roundup. So many you go first. What was your favorite thing from this episode? You know, I really don't know what this episode because they did so many things good. But again, this was one of those episodes where it's like they had a, a peak in it with uh, Sir Cole of Slaw. But I feel like that was like too much. You know, I really feel like that was just like it's cool, you know, but when you when you let out the throttle too much, I mean, you're just going to destroy the engine, you know, so it was one of those <laughs> those things where it's like because uh, like the first part with like Damon, you know, and his terribly ugly wife, you know, <laughs> so hideous. I felt like the setup for that alone was probably like my favorite scene just because it was so quiet, you know, oh, yeah. and it was just very simple. And it was like, okay. And the fact that you can introduce a character and have her on there for five minutes. And I knew exactly what I needed to know about her character. And I, and, and like, I loved her and I was just like, dude, I need more of this character. So that scene was honestly probably my favorite. Just it was like, you know, in the beginning and it was just like, okay, cool. And I know that there isn't much about it. Maybe I should have a more exciting scene. No, say, it was oh, this a was... good scene. But it was really awesome. And just the way it was like, I mean, this show, what it's doing so good is like that, what's that, that saying, the, 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 uh, bre the, the brevity of wit. What is that? Oh, you know hmm. what I'm saying? Oh, that, I right? know what you're talking about, but. Yeah. And it's just like, it's just doing so much with so little. And I felt like mm -hmm. that first scene was fantastic, right? Nothing was going on. There wasn't like a big argument of words. It was just real quick. And this is what happened. And I was like, okay. And it was the same thing with the scene with, with the uh, crab feeder, right? There was no fight scene. They just dragged his dead body out of the damn thing. And I was like, dude, you didn't do anything with that. It was so simple. And it's like, that's, that's how you write. That's how scenes stick in your head forever, you know, is like that. And that's where I think the show is like really just tearing it up awesome wise. But that's probably my uh, favorite scene. Honestly, for me, it's Rhea. There was a lot of good stuff in this episode, but for me, it was the very beginning. And honestly, just thinking that we would get not episodes of Rhea Royce, but like I said earlier, the show don't tell. They showed. Yep. She's yep. beautiful. She's badass. She's got great armor. She's a great rider. She loves to hunt. Like, I, I bow at Rhea Royce's feet. Yes. Please take me as your lover. <laughs> and they're doing it great, right? Because the story we're going to tell in our heads about the character is going to mm -hmm. be so much better than anything else they're ever going to possibly write. And that's where I'm just like, I thank yeah. them. Like, great. A hundred, a hundred fan fiction writers just started writing a Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was a really good scene. I think for me, this is where my Alicent apologist is coming out of just her entering into the grand hall with the interrupt purposefully interrupting her husband her and as well as calling Rhaenyra stepdaughter which I think is the first time she's referred to Alicent as her or Rhaenyra as her stepdaughter like out loud um in the show was just it was so good this is the Alicent that book readers know. Yeah. And like you're, re you're now getting that and you're like, 
you you've got me hooked unfortunately um you're dragging me kicking and screaming to the greens but you are dragging me and it was just so good a great way to say goodbye to the young actors and Mm -hmm. usher in the adult actors it's gonna be amazing really interested to see that transition for next week honestly Because we weren't entirely sure. I kind of always thought it was going to be five and five, but I was like, I don't know, maybe not. They kept doing time skips, but also not a lot was happening. So I was like, maybe it'll be longer. Mm-hmm. But yeah, very, very, very interested to see the time skip. I can't wait for it to break my already broken heart into more pieces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just in this now, man. I really <laughs> look before you invited me on this podcast. I was I didn't I wasn't even sure that I was going to watch the show because I was like <laughs> I don't really know anything about it, and you know, and I'm just like, you know, in the last season of Game of Thrones, I really wasn't actually it wasn't even. I know everyone like hates the last season, but in all honesty, I was clocked out for like two seasons prior. <laughs> Right? A lot of people There's, were. You're not alone yeah, there. I was just like, you know what, dude? They never told me what happened to Serial Pharrell, who was my favorite character <laughs> of all time on Game of Thrones. You know, And it's like I took martial arts from a guy that looked like him and acted exactly like him. So I was instantly like in love with the guy. Never found out what happened. With him. So I was like, sure okay, whatever. Works. Yeah. And, and then so like the last few seasons of Game of Thrones, I watched it literally just out of obligation because I wanted to see what happened. You know, I was like, look, I just want, you know, I'm like, I made it this far. I just want to see how it ends at this point. Like, I don't, it's like, to me, it's like going to an autopsy. Like, I know it's dead, but I want to see what killed it. You know, like I just, and that's how it was for me. Now, looking back in retrospect, I don't hate it as much as I used to. Honestly, like going back and watching it, I'm like, okay, I can see how I was disappointed. Yeah, but yeah, it was like, okay, this writing is a little hokey, but is it really that bad? I mean, you know, it's like, yeah, look, and in the end, I didn't lose any money because I didn't make the show. I don't, I didn't, I don't care. And you know what though, but maybe it's because I just, I never read the books, you know? So I don't, I didn't have yeah. that, like huge attachment of like, this is the way. And I know God bless your, God bless your hearts. You're still waiting for like the last book or something that is uh, never going to happen. Two more, two more. Oh, two more. Okay. So you're waiting for two more. And to me, I'm clocked out already. I'm like, nah, I'm done. I'm going home. You guys enjoy Honestly, I went back and I, I didn't mind it so much, but I was clocked out for like those two seasons. And the way like watching, you know, House of the D now is like, it's making me feel like, or just reminding me of what I loved about Game of Thrones when I first started watching it, you know? And in a lot of ways, I feel like it's doing things, some things better just in doing the very minimalistic, but big storytelling by just using little, little things, you know? And Honestly, I'm I'm totally in it, man. Like I didn't think that I would get into it and I thought, well, I'll just watch it and just analyze it like a normal person. But I'm like totally into it now where I'm like I mean, dude. Yeah, man, like my brain is just going. I mean, you know, when we did the episode about the the crab feeder getting dragged out and I'm just like, no, there was no fight. It was just one swing. Like I like my brain is just working overtime on it, you know? Like I love it. I'm in it. When I saw that scene, I was like this is one of the best shows I've watched in a long time because I was expecting the same thing. It was going to be some dramatic fight scene and like all this stuff. And no, he just dragged his body out. And I was like, I love this show. This is fantastic. (laughs) So good. As we close out this episode, I just want to give a shout out to our heroes, to your patron, Tommy of the TKOK Podcast Network. Thank you so much for supporting us. And thank you to our listeners for joining us for Hot D Takes. Manny and I will be back next week with a new guest to cover House of the Dragon's sixth episode, The Princess and the Queen. 
Thank you for listening to the Geek Saga podcast. If you like what you heard, please check out other Geek Saga entertainment endeavors, including the Sagas and Sass webcast and podcast and Ice and Fire Con.